everyone, welcome to the Sanctuary, a safe space to speak from the heart. I'm your host, Israel, and my guest today is the super awesome, multi-talented Jamila. Thank you so much for coming to the Sanctuary today. Thank you, Israel, for having me. Excited to be a part of your program. Yo, yo, I've been dying to make this happen. But first of all, I want to start with like, uh, you know, COVID happened March 2020. Like, were there some things you had planned for summer festivals, things like that? What are some of those things and how did you handle them being, you know, pushed back or canceled? Yes, that is a great question. And a question that has been posed to us a, a couple of times before 2020 started on a very high note for our band. For the very first time, we got to travel beyond the Canadian borders and we went back to Jamaica, you know, the birthing place of reggae music, to not only pay homage to the genre and the people who were instrumental in making it as amazing as it is, but also mm -hmm. to create content. So we made videos and we, we recorded at Tough Gong Studio. It was a great experience. Whoa! Yes. Nice. The whole plan, yeah, the whole plan was that not only would we explore where reggae is today in Jamaica, but we'd also have some authentic recording that involved also the reggae legends who are still alive in Jamaica. And the plan was mm. to come back here and share it and, and kind of ride the wave of that content for the entire 2020. Right, um, right, right. And we had shows booked up until September of last year. And they all, yeah. by the 25th of March last year, they were all canceled. <laughs> when, when did you go to Jamaica though? We went on the 1st of February, 2020, and we spent 10 days. So nice. shortly after we arrived here, that's when the lockdown happened. When when you guys were there, there was like, you know, talks of like, hey, people need to come back. Did, was that, did that happen then? It did, definitely. I remember us going, to, we had already had our tickets booked from um, the late, latter part of 2019. And so we had some concerns as the, the date draw closer because we knew that there was something not right going on in the world. Um, mm. It was funny because on the day when we went to the airport together as a team, we all had our hand sanitizers and we didn't have a mask <laughs> yet, but we were serious about trying to avoid it at any rate. In hindsight, yeah. though, looking back, we're very happy that we took the chance. Right, 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 right. Mm. So... Um then i guess you know everything just shut down how did you and the band react to that how did you handle it so as you can imagine when we came back it was a bit of a shock and no one was quite sure in my team and other musicians that i know as well were kind of like okay where do we go from here a lot of our livelihoods were affected because not everyone um has another job in addition to music. You know, a lot of people are depending on music as their main source of livelihood. And that was very, very, um, it was very disheartening for, for a lot of us. Um, what we did though, is that we used the contents. We did some live off the floor recordings and we started submitting it to a lot of the events that were going virtual. Mm. The first one being the NSCC um, live performance for their arts program went virtual. And it was cool to be able to show content that was actually recorded in Jamaica, reggae music, and to be able to show it to the students there. And mm. we used this content a bunch of times because lucky for us, we had it ready. It was new. It was fresh. Mm -hmm. So um, 
it really positioned us in a very strong way last year to be able to use the opportunities as they were virtual, right? Most of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so did you have any of those experiences where you it's live or virtual, where you actually play live? Did you have any of those um, performances? We did. So Full Circle Festival, our Big Up Kim and the entire team at Full Circle, they've been trying to get our band to play since... 2019 summer and last year was supposed to be the time when we made it happen (laughs) and of course it was cancelled so Mm -hmm. they were the first organizers who mentioned or suggested that we if we are comfortable we could get together as a team and and record live so we have that video on my youtube channel it's jamila full circle 2020 and it yes. would have been our first time trying to do that sort of format. <laughs> mm. How was it, though? How was that experience for you guys? Did you have any preparation for it or you just showed up and recorded? Just showed up and recorded. A, a bunch of our, our team members were a little nervous about um, coming together for rehearsals because they had vulnerable members of their family right, around them, right. you know. Um, but we managed to, by, by the time Full Circle came around, we managed to... Um, move beyond a lot of our um, discomforts. And we came up with a a COVID plan that if you are not singing, you'll wear your mask and that will set up the instrumentations as far away from each other as possible. And we set up outside, which gave us a lot more fresh Ah, air and a lot of... So that was cool. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. feel free to check it out, guys, if you get a chance on Jamila Music on YouTube. You'll see our full circle performance from last year. Yeah, awesome. Check it out. Um, so let's now go way back. Like, you know, growing up, how did you like how did you fall in love with music? How did you get into music? Mm-hmm. You know, that's such a great question. Um, I can't remember a time in my life when music wasn't there right beside me. Um, whether it's singing in church or being a part of choirs at school and any other sort of social, you know, event, it always involved music for me. I didn't grow up with my father. He was a traveling musician. So, of course, uh, I was staying with the maternal side of my family. I um, was mm. more, you know, Christian-rooted, Christian-minded, and a more stable sort of space to, to raise a, a young lady but while my dad was traveling and making his contributions to the genre. Um, mm. Whenever he was around, though, I always got an opportunity to spend those times with him. And it was strange because I'd be like, my father isn't like the rest of the other dads that I know, you know. (laughs) (laughs) He's smoking all this weed and playing all this music. (laughs) But as I grew older, Israel, I started to understand just how incredible his contribution has been to the genre. And that Mm. I understood that even though I didn't have him all the time when I was younger, he was out there making a name and building a legacy, not only for me, but for all my other siblings. So, Mm. yeah, as you grow up, you understand. And then the people you call uncle and and the people that you hang out with, you realize how incredible they are, right? Mm. The Sly and Robbies of the world, you know, these kind of people. So I'm excited for and, and really grateful for this type of exposure. So you grew up in Jamaica, right? Mm-hmm. How was that experience for you? Well, when you grew up in a place, you don't know anything different. Right. So, <laughs> it's right. your base level. So right. I'm a country girl, you know. I come from up in the in the hills of Saint Anne, um, quite quite close to where 
Marcus Garvey would have come from to give some people who might not know um, the geography of Jamaica to give them some some reference point. I'm mm-hmm. from St. Anna, and that's also where Bob Marley's from as well. So the little town I'm from is called Brownstone. And yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up with my grandmother and my mother and, you know, we had chickens and I had a goat and <laughs> I went to church and right. it was very, very simple living. But for me, it was, it was my entire world. And then yeah. as you grow up, you realize that the world is so much more big and has so much more to offer. Right. So, <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd hang out with your dad and then like, this is just your life. Um meeting all these super talented legends right <laughs> yes uh, and then like wh- what time did you realize oh wait these are not just like you know your everyday people like at what age did this realization come to you well the realization came to me around the time when lauren hill um dropped miseducation of lauren hill that and album also- though <laughs> i know so Woo! that's the thing because i was now in high school at this time still living in the countryside and understanding that my dad is an incredible musician and we could understand each other because I also love music. So he loves to hear me sing as much as I love to hear him play. But Mm. in terms of the, the, um, the level of his, of his contribution to music is when um, he got his first couple of Grammys that I was aware of. He had some Grammys before, but like the miseducation of Lauren Hill, bunch of Grammys, those were crazy because he played on that album. Mm. And it's like, you're in high school being like, oh shoot, you know, my dad's on that album. And it's like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. No, because I don't consider myself to be like, rich or super connected or anything but it's it makes me proud to have this sort of legacy you mm. know i have mm. really big shoes to fill israel uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um you know for for people that might not know him do you want to share a little bit about him and like mm-hmm. what he in what way contributed oh absolutely sure so my dad's name is earl china smith And um, he has been playing guitar since he was a teenager. He started playing with a band called Soul Syndicate. But quite shortly after, everyone would realize how incredible he is as a musician and a person. He started playing with Bob Marley, um, recording with him at the age of 17. And um, since then, he has been with the Marley camp all the way up until um, Junior Gong, Damon Marley. Um, He was the musical director of Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers. A lot of his most, he does a lot of work, not only with the Marley family, with maybe any <laughs> any reggae act you can think of. <laughs> but um, outside of that, his most international notable work would be his work with Lauren Hill, his work with um, Amy Winehouse, his work with Joss Stone, and his mm-hmm. work with the Marley family for sure. So that will explain how you and your band go to recording Tough Gong. No, not really. You just kind oh. of go on the website and book the time. But <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> you just book the time. But what makes it different is that when you go to Tough Gong, like when I go to Tough Gong, it's a place that I've been going for all my life. Since you were a kid. Yeah, right, so the reception right, right. would be different. Right, 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 right. So, you know, you, you grew up that way and then you're doing this thing in a choir you know expressing yourself at what time did you start writing your own songs okay and what type of songs were they 
Okay, sounds good. Thank you. I love that because a lot of people pigeonhole me into the reggae box, which I will, I have very high um, loyalty to the genre and mm. and it has given me exposure that I would never know otherwise. Mm. But I love R&B and I love jazz music. I love mm. soul music, you know? And I think they're all have, they all have roots in African music anyway. So, mm. <laughs> but um, when I just started to write, I was influenced by the popular acts of the day, you know, the Beyonce's, you know, the Faith Evans of the time. And so I was writing a lot of um, a lot of soul songs and R&B songs. And my dad and my repertoire, so if you should just hang out with us and we start singing, it would quite rarely be reggae songs because just like him, we like to explore the mm. different kinds of progressions and the different kinds of stru- song structures. So I was writing a lot of... Um, of, of soul songs. But then I went on tour for the very first time, very first time at 21 with the Wailers, Aston Family Man Barrett. And my sister was the other background vocalist, Maria Smith. Oh. Yeah, so that was fun. And then it wasn't until I did this one tour, because you know about reggae when you're living in Jamaica, but when you go on tour and you see how it affects people. people yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a different thing, you know, because to you, it's like you've been drinking this water since you were 12, right? But seeing how it's affecting people is a different thing entirely. Oh, you take it for granted when you have it around you all the time. Right, right, right. Because, <laughs> like, the water is right there. I can just take it from the top, right? But when exactly. you see how people react, it's like your eyes open. So, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Absolutely. No, no worries. Um, And... So I, w- I went on a U.S. tour with with Aston Family Man Barrett and the entire Whalers team, or or the or I should say the re- reconstructed version of it, with some mm. original members and some new members as well. And it, I have to say, that was a life changer for me mm-hmm. because I really understood. You, you hear stories about how reggae music changed people's lives. And hold the type of positive vibration that it brings about into the world and into people's communities. And it doesn't matter where they're from to hear people singing back these songs word for word. It kind of touch your heart. And then you say, oh, okay, that's the kind of effect you want to have on the world. Mm. And mm. it is my legacy. So why not? You know, it's okay to try to be Beyonce. But how's about being Jamila from Jamaica? Maybe mm. that might work. <laughs> yeah, yeah so so was that when you know kind of that switch flipped and you you know accepted this is me and then you kind of went down this path well yes um yes and no i started to appreciate reggae music more but i was still working a full-time job so after that tour ended i, I went back to my corporate job in jamaica and then a couple of what years were you like, doing then Oh, okay. I was in HR. I was working as a f- workforce manager at a Oh my God. How company. many people did you have to fire? <laughs> <laughs> well, the firing decision never always rests with me, but I can okay. recommend it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Yes. right. So, so, so you're doing HR, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then it's almost like I could not, I could no longer be comfortable mm. in my sit at my desk job knowing that there was a world out there waiting to hear music and a world that was so easily accessible by me, you know? Mm. 
Like it was easy for me to just step into that world with my brother, my sister, my family. We were all kind of, that is our reality, you know, on my paternal mm-hmm. side, for sure. Mm. So um, I quit my job and I was like, let's try to do music. <laughs> wait, wait, it wasn't like, was, that, was it easy to make that decision quitting your job? It wow. was not easy at all. And it got really hard before it got better. Israel, you're probably one of the first interviews I've done where I'm going to actually tell you how hard it got. Mm. I um I quit my job at Digicel in Jamaica and I cut all my cream hair off. You know, I have my perms and my hairpiece and the curls and I cut it off and I started to grow my dreads. And without just like running after the opportunities in music, I tried to understand the Rastafarian culture a little bit better because I figured if I understood it more, then not only would I be able to deepen the connection with my dad and all the other Rastafarians that I would have become close to over the years but Mm -hmm. i would understand the music more and so when i sing it it would be coming from a different place Mm -hmm. and israel so said so done i haven't been closer to myself or closest to my authenticity as a person as i have when i was a practicing rastafarian woman Mm. people from digicel my former corporate job were like oh have you seen Jamila she looks like she's going crazy because I cut my hair no but little did they know I was reading more books and Mm. I was sitting with myself more and I was thinking and and operating and behaving on a on a on a higher spiritual level that's how I felt I lost 55 pounds Israel just by virtue of the fact that I changed my eating I'm telling you what happened and it was really bad at first. And then it's almost like the most high open up an opportunity for me to go on tour. And mm-hmm. I was touring consistently for over three years. Did you form a band right away? No, I, I went on tour as a background vocalist for a number of bands. One of them was a, a, a band in California called Groundation. Shereen Anderson, I was working with her. And by virtue of working with her, I got to work with Sly and Robbie a bunch as well. I mm-hmm. toured with Junior Kelly. I toured I toured with a number of people. I toured with Jesse Royal. I toured with Janine. All in the capacity of a background singer, though. Mm. You know? In that, you know what I used to think? Like, uh, and uh, so I watch a lot of Saturday Night Live, right? I can't remember these artists, but... Sometimes you listening to the background singer, you know, because they are like singing and they're answering the chorus or whatever. Yes. But you can just hear, okay, wait, this person or like, I don't know if I'm correct or right, but you can just kind of sense that there's more to that background singer. Like, is that (laughs) ever a thing? Or am I just crazy and just like, you know, overthinking things? Yeah, you're not crazy at all. Um, I'll tell you, Quite selfishly, I love the background singer role. Um, it's kind of an easy cop out because you get all of the exposure without the accountability. Right, right, <laughs> right. Because you can be like, "Holy shit, that person can't sing!" Like you, you know, because like you you hear when the artist is singing, and then you can hear when that person is singing because of like the intonation or how they are moving to the music. I'm like, "Oh, that is that person's voice!" Holy shit, that is that person's <laughs> voice. Absolutely. And I always loved the craft because I grew up and saw my big sister and my big brothers doing it. And they've toured with Shaggy, Jimmy Cliff. They're they're pretty established, far more established than I am as a background singer. And mm-hmm. um, but they, they haven't gone on to do to, to start bands and such, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, when I moved to Nova Scotia now. Wait, I, so what was the 
I guess, the push behind the move to Nova Scotia? Well, my mom has been living here for about 13 years. So she was living here before me. She came here as a nurse for work opportunities. Then my sister came shortly after and started going to Halifax West. So that was how it kind of started. And then I started visiting whenever I wasn't on tour. I would use the opportunity to come and visit, you know, my mom's new home, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my mom don't go anywhere, you know. She's boring. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? It's good to have that balance between this dad that does all these things and this mom that is super grounded. So you have these two sides, you know? Absolutely. Super stable. But when I came here, I wanted music. I was here for an ex- extended period of time, maybe a month or so. And I wanted music. And I remember jumping on the number four and asking the bus driver, where is Agricola or something like this? Why? Because I heard that there was a, a an open mic um, oh. run by a man called Ben Kaplan. Okay. Okay. I would I would later learn that Ben Kaplan is one of the most talented Nova Scotians ever. <laughs> But I went there all by myself, took the bus down there. And then I met a little firecracker called Roxy. Mm. Roxy and the underground soul sound. And um, we sang for a little bit out back. We had a smoke, we had a drink. And then she was like, I have a show coming up. You should come. And she started integrating me into the music community because she realized that I love music and, mm-hmm. and that I was also musical. And um, the rest is history. I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I met my so, husband. So you saying with Roxy, though, Uh, and and then how do you form your own band, right? Wait, 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 wait first. Because, like, by now you're all just doing this background thing. When did you, like, want to now take the responsibility being in front, right? Because okay. you're back there enjoying your music and you don't yeah. have to worry about everything else. But now you're like, okay, uh, everything is going to stop with me. What made you do that switch? It's a mixture between growth and desperation. And I'll explain it to you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, It's desperation because after meeting Roxy, I started a relationship with someone who was playing with her that night. Um, And over the next couple of years, we stayed in contact and we decided that I was going to move here. I wasn't touring as much as I was in Jamaica, so I felt like it was the right time to make the move. And we got married. So I'm married to a Cape Bretoner currently. All right. All right. Right. Exactly. His name is Adrian Dunn. And um, that's one of the main reasons I moved here on a more long term, more permanent basis. Mm-hmm. But when I came here, there wasn't a lot of music that. Uh, well, no lies. There was a lot of music. But not your type of music. Not a lot of reggae music. Yeah. And that gave me an opportunity. I connected with the few reggae music people that were in the city through Charles Austin. He connected me with the Dub Cartel and Andrew Branch. And, and so I started to know who these people were. But um, I wanted to bring my own flavor to it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I felt like I had a responsibility. So the desperation was like, okay, where is the reggae music? And then the growth is like, okay, this is your opportunity to stop being so comfortable and mm. to step into your power mm-hmm. because you know you can do it, right? So it was scary at first, but right, it's something right, that needed right. to Right, right, right. I was just about to say, wasn't that scary? <laughs> but thank you for answering that. Yeah, because, I mean, I can imagine was it scary, right? So anyway, but you do it and then... um And then what, what, I guess, what was the process? What was the timeline to building this thing you've built? For sure. We started rehearsing 
I want to say April of 2017, no, 2018, no, we started rehearsing April of 2018. <laughs> and when we started rehearsing, it was at Alec Fritz's home. Now he was running for a long time, Sound System Sundays. So he had like a, where you could go and a, a, a meeting on a Sunday evening where he put up the sound systems in his, his basement and you could go and enjoy reggae music. So he was happy to host us. Mm. And we just we just rehearsed for about a month. And then we were discussing a, a cool space to be able to, to launch, for want of a better word. And then I read somewhere that that same April, um, there would have been the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote. Oh. And I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. And also, I wanted to also highlight, like myself, because now knowing how hard it is to keep a band together, trying to make it happen, I started looking around at the other female musicians that were around in the city. You mm. know, you have Karen, um, Cameron, which is an all-girls band. We have Like a Motorcycle, Jesse Brown, Erin Costello, Roxy herself, and I was like, there are a lot of really powerful people. There's a community of us. And imagine if we all came together and supported each other. So I did a show that empower that was um, aimed at empowering female musicians and artists. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the anniversary of women's rights to vote would have been a really key time to do that. And that was our very first show. And we yeah. had a really nice time. We had a, a poet, Maria Pelly Smith. That was She's there, amazing. So. She's incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Cameron was there as well. It was it was quite something. Okay, so let's rewind just a tiny bit, right? You 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 like how do you select the people in your band, right? Mm -hmm. Um and like did you have any I guess issues with coming up with a name and like who was writing the songs and like kind of what was whose responsibility in the band? Okay, great. Um, I wish we had that all written down on a page when we started, <laughs> but we didn't. I'm going to be absolutely honest, full wow. disclosure. Um, Holy shit. I didn't choose a band Israel. These right. guys all showed up for me. Every wow. single one of my seven musical family members. I'm going to use this opportunity to name them out. Mm -hmm. Alec Frith from the very beginning has allowed us use of his attic to be able to rehearse he has been a driving force in the creative direction for the band. And mm. he showed up. I did not have to call Alec. As a matter of fact, when I don't have rehearsals, Alec calls me. He's like, "What? so what about rehearsals? <laughs> <laughs> we have Richard McNeil. He's responsible, especially now in the pandemic, for doing a lot of the recording work. So he hosts my creativity. I write a lot of the songs, but I don't play. So I, I, I depend on not only Richard and Alec, but the entire band to help me with giving me that cushion that to, to facilitate my creativity. Mm. And, and Richard is a key part of that process. Charlie stepped into the band uh, most recently because um, my husband had to take a step back. He had some personal issues that he was dealing with. And so I was short of a guitarist and Charlie stepped in, stepped in almost immediately. What Charlie came with, though, is incredible because Charlie's a videographer. Right, Charlie Benoit. Exactly. His photos. Oh, my God. His photos are 
crazy. He's insane. Yeah. Um, he's incredible, not only in his talents, but also as a person. Very reliable, someone you can count on. Mm. So Charlie has been there, not only giving us the guitar um, vibes, the guitar, you know, but also helping us to have our visuals and our content in order. Mm. Um, Christine... Kovacevic. I invited her to come check out the band one day. Just come hear how we rehearse. And she's never missed a rehearsal since. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Branch, I have to say, came into the band um, most recently as well um, after Christine. No, actually, before Christine and Charlie, but um, the after the first core set of members had started, he came mm. shortly after. And he came and he was like, I have a band but I want to be a part of this band too. <laughs> and, and and those are the energies, you know, the energies where right. people show up and they don't leave. And I, I, right. I love that. Paul right. Kenny, my drummer, um, Paul Kenny has a family and, and a full-time job, but it's always there. And we have a silent member as well, um, Teddy Skiffington, who is over there in Toronto. He was our very first drummer before Paul Kenny came on our team. And mm. he was very instrumental in starting the band because he called me and he was like, a bunch of us guys are going to go jam. And uh, we were thinking if you wanted to come and I'm like, sure. And they were like, maybe you could have your own band. Right, (laughs) right, right, right. So um, those are my guys. I love them all. I love them all deeply. So like you mentioned, you you played with your husband, like your husband was part of your band. How Mm. is that? How does that work? Like, you met him, I'm guessing the music brought you together. I got married and now he's playing your band. Like, is is that where, do you have this situation where it's like, how do you separate, I guess, this is the question. How do you separate work and like, you know, us? That's a great question. Um, it's not easy. Um, but if you have two emotionally mature people who are able to control themselves, who are not driven by power and um, and that deep-seated need for authority or control, mm. I feel like it can definitely work. We, we worked mm. quite well together um, for a long time until he had some personal issues that he had to deal with. And yeah. he had to not only drop my band, but a few other um, engagements so that he could think a little more clearly. So you said he's from Cape Breton, but you guys live in Halifax or... Okay. Yeah, great. we live in Halifax. Great, great. Yeah, I've never been to Cape Breton. I keep saying I'll be, I'll go, but you've been, I'm guessing, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> Cape Breton is beautiful, and I have to say it reminds me of the South because um, Jamaica has that sort of Southern hospitality. You know, the music, the people, the vibes, the energy, mm. and I feel like I, I find some some similarities in the Cape Breton culture as well. So when it comes to your songs, right? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. how do you write them? Like, how? What inspires you? What drives you to write the songs you write? And how do you go from your head to your paper to working with your band? Okay, um, this is a great question. So I, I have ideas of songs, or you know, you ever have an aha moment? You're walking, and whether it's a quote that hits you the right way, or you have a thought, <laughs> and you're like, whoa, that's profound. So yeah. on this phone, I have about a thousand voice notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I capture it because um, one of the themes that Richard and I have, and I'm going to quote it for you, the vibes are slippery, 
the vibes are slippery. You see, if you have a creative, um, a creative epiphany and you don't document that right away, it gone leave you. <laughs> that is very, 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 very true. That is very true. That is so true. And like, you know what? Like, um, cause I, I write films and stuff and sometimes like you'd be like a dream and then I'll be like, okay, when I wake up, I'll remember it or I'll, I'll write it or whatever. If I don't write it right then, it's gone. It's gone, 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 gone. gone. You know. So yeah, vibes is slippery. I like that. I like the that. The vibe like is that. slippery. So if you don't capture the vibes, when the vibes take te- you, <laughs> it's gone. Okay. So, when so I you get the vibe on your phone. Yeah. yeah. And, and I go to my creative sessions. Most recently, my creative sessions have been primarily with Richard McNeil. Just because my band is really big. So we don't have the we don't have the luxury of getting together all the time. Mm. So, and then I, I, I go over a few of the ideas with him and then he plays me a few of his ideas. And then I'm like, his ideas are mostly instrumentals, you know, the beats, the rhythm. And then we're like, Oh, I like that one. And I like that one. And he said, well, I like that idea. And I like that idea. Usually in an hour or two, we have a demo to work off of, you know, oh. I like to write on my book. We have a little black book that we've been using since last year when the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to flip through the pages because you see chat their names when it was just starting. You know, you see all these songs that we've pr- produced and we have mm-hmm. since last year pr- produced and, and recorded over 10 songs. God damn. And, and where do you record? I record in Richard's personal home studio. On okay. Windsor Street, so yeah, um, yeah. he is my bubble. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa! You know, you mentioned um, you, well, you mentioned the song, uh, and I, 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 I didn't want to talk about it right away, but I think now is a good time as 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 any to talk about the song. And that's Chandia names. Last mm-hmm. year was a uh, there was COVID, sure. But there was also this like uprising worldwide with the murder of George Floyd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and people were responding to that in different ways, you know, protesting, you know, online social activism, whatever, whatever. And then I saw these chant your name songs. I was like, holy shit, it's like different, right? It's like so I guess my question is just Talk me through the whole idea of trying to names and then making that um <coughs> the artwork and the video for it and all that. Like, why was it important to put that song out then? It was very important to me because it was unplanned. No one in our team had anticipated that we would have had this song even three weeks before it happened. And I'll mm. tell you what, I watched the George Floyd the the, the footage. And I was broken. When he called out for his mother, I was broken. I was mm. broken. And I could not function. Um, funny enough, I had to. I had a session booked with Richard where we just book a two hours or so and I go over for the sake of, you know, creating. And I was mm. like, Richard, I don't feel like I'm in the right mood right now because, you know. And I, I shared with him why. I was like, I, I just watched this video and it's mm. really, really affecting me. So Richard was like, would you write about that? And I was like, mm. I could try. And I was like, where do you start unpacking 400 years of oppression? Where do you start? What's the first line of the song? And Richard said to me, if you could talk to that guy kneeling 
on George Floyd's neck right now, what would you say to him? And I answered without even thinking about it. I, would, I said to him, I'd ask him what he have to say for himself. I want to know what he has to say for himself. And that's the first line of chant their names. Mm. After we had this conversation, in one and a half hours, all the lyrics were written. Mm. We decided we were going to go and ask him, what if you were one of these people? Or suppose this was your son. And what was very surprising to me, Israel, is that we had too many names to choose from. If you know the song, you know the song lists you know, and basically you're talking to the police officer and you're saying, what if you were Sandra Bland and got a ticket? What if, you know, and it's funny because you shouldn't be able to find so many rhyming names. And I still did not use not even half of them. Do you understand? <clears throat> the worst part is that Chantony and King, but between now until then, you have even more names. It's like it just doesn't stop. Dante, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it doesn't stop. And so it's like the black community cannot get over one death before another one comes. It's almost like they're trying to, to break us, like emotionally. Mm. There's one thing killing off all of our men, but there's also another part of it that is like, when are we going to get some release? You know what I mean? It has mm. to stop with this generation. It has to stop with this generation. And every single person, I said it at, at all my shows, every single one of us, regardless of our background, our color, our belief system, bears the accountability to make sure that the next generation comes with a different mindset. Yeah. 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 It's a serious thing. You know, first off, thanks for making that song. And then, like... <clears throat> The artwork that came with it, how did that, was that uh, Charles? Charlie, yeah. So our, when, when I recorded the song, I did that demo the same evening. And then Richard gave me a call. He gave me a call and he said, Jamila, I know we've been working on our album, but I just listened to the song. Charlie listened to it as well. And we feel like um, we should get it out now. I said, Richard, we don't have a budget. We don't have any budget to do anything like this. And Richard is like, no. I'm going to donate my half of the ownership of the song to charity. And already we have actioned that. Um, he doesn't want to benefit from it. Neither do I. Charlie was like, I'll do the visuals. I can't do much for a movement like this. But if I can make this video that will mm -hmm. help to bring positive awareness to it mm -hmm. and help to bring about positive change, then mm -hmm. I will do this. And I saw a community of people, Israel, Trevor Murphy, who did the public, the publishing work, well, not publishing, he was a publicist for it, kind of helped to get it out there in the world. He offered to do this. Not a single dollar was spent in the making of chant their names. And that's how I know um, the power of community. That's how mm. I know the power of community Israel. People, a lot of people were moved and not a lot of people were clear on how they could help. Mm. So these guys were like, you know what? You sing this song and it is our responsibility, if we can, to help you to get it to the ears of the people who need to hear it. Mm. 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 In two weeks, the song was released. I never seen wow. nothing like that yet. In two wow. weeks, video, yeah. everything. Yeah. That's powerful. You know, as you're telling me this story, you know, community keeps coming up. Do you, you know, does that little girl in Senance in the brownstone, did she like ever envisage something like this growing up? No. Yeah. 
No, not at all. And <laughs> there's a Jamaican saying that the more you plan, the more God keeps wiping out. Because in our very limited human understanding of the world, we feel like we have it all figured out. Mm. And more and more, I have to just submit myself to the bigger picture because there's something here that I am. There's something, Israel, I am sure that I am here to do. Mm. Like a more divine calling of sorts. And I, I want, I, I don't want to fight against that. I want to, to sit into that divine fate that is that is destined for me. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. And I, I would hope that on, on the path that I, I will be able to positively affect the lives and attitudes of people around me. As a little girl, I never, I could not imagine a million times to have even traveled to the places that I have traveled or mm. see the things that I've seen. But to whom much is given, much is expected. You know? You mentioned that I'm like, you know, songs like Chant Your Name, Judah, you're taking your responsibility seriously. But you're still a human being, right? So True. does he get heavy sometimes? And, and when he does, how do you handle all that weight? Um, that's such a such a personal question, and I, I love to, to answer it. I, I struggle a lot with my presence. I struggle a lot, like doing podcasts and such. I'm more, I'm more comfortable with what I have to say than actually sitting here in front of the camera. It's very uncomfortable for me. And that's how I know that um, <clears throat> maybe I'm not in it for the image part of things. The most uncomfortable part of, of the rising um, fan base and the rising attention that my team and I are getting is the fact that I have to stand at the forefront and I have to have my picture taken and I have to show up on social media and I have to engage. Mm. I don't mind talking. I don't mind singing, but it's, I still struggle mm. with um, my image. The world tells me that I have to look a certain way and the world tells me that I have to behave a certain way. Mm. And it is not very aligned with the way that I think about myself. So whenever it is that I'm trying to do music, and, and you look at pop culture, and then I look back at my music, and I look at back at pop culture. <laughs> I can't help but feel a little disheartened because mm. I don't fit that mold, Israel, and I'll be the first person to say that. You know? So that is very uncomfortable. I show up anyway, though, because I know that, as again, who much is given, much is expected, and the least I can do is show, show up. Mm. But that don't mean that I'm always comfortable doing it. But you show up, right? You show <laughs> up. That is that. I think you know what. Like that is. It's better to like you know. But like, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, or you have like this dead shakes, or you're scared, or whatever. But you still show up because this thing, this calling, this destiny, this fate is bigger than you. And the only way to get that to that place to just keep showing up. And man, you show up every time. But, so, I, I, man, God, time, 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 time is That's not okay. enough. I have so many questions. Um, we have to do this again. We have to do like a part two and three and four. But here's the thing, though. Um, apart from chant the names, right? Mm -hmm. How do you feel when you sing? It's the best feeling in the world. 
Israel in my little apartment here on lockdown. I sing in this apartment as if I was singing at a festival. So my neighbors must hate me by now. But... <laughs> <laughs> the bottom line, the bottom line is... <laughs> I sing for myself because it's therapeutic to me. It mm. is an activity that I have been doing every single day mm. for all my life. Mm. Mm. So I sing. I sing whether or not someone is listening. Right. Um, so if you see me on a show and you see my eyes closed and I'm probably looking away, because when I find now that I rewatch myself a lot more, I see that I close my eyes a lot. And it's for two reasons. One of them is because it takes me that, back to that place where I don't feel like I am impressed, trying to impress the people before me. I'm just singing for myself. Mm -hmm. And also when I open my eyes, it takes me back to all those butterflies in my stomach and all those things. So I find it safer when I close my eyes like this and I just think about me and the music alone. Mm -hmm. It is one of the best feelings in the world. Right, right. How do you think your dad feels, though, watching you, what you've built? I think he's proud of me. Yes. Um, I am one of my dad's only kids that have toured with him. He loves my voice. He loves singing with me. Like, we have, our, like, a big part of my relationship with my dad is based on our, our equal love for music. So, like... Yes. When I'm hanging out with him, we will listen to one song to get to learn it for like three, four hours. And other people will be like, what's wrong with these two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to keep him proud, though. Right, right, right. Um, so, you know, at some point, at some point, we'll have the vaccine. Life will be open. Shows will happen again. At some point, you know, I can't say when. But when that happens, what do you guys have planned? Okay, great. We are booked up until next year, February. Wow. So we, <laughs> I'll just put it there. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'll mention a few of the shows. Um, a bunch of them for, for May have been canceled and, and, mm -hmm. and postponed until June. So we'll yep. start off June with the ECMAs. Right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. We have a show booked at Church Brewery whether virtual or live, based on the restrictions at the time, um, mm. in June as well. So feel free to check the Church Brewery website for that. We have a Rolling Stone. Well, I'm going to be sitting in on a Rolling Stones tribute that's going to be happening in the city as well. So look out for that. But in terms mm. of our entire team, we have the Halifax Jazz Festival that's coming up. We have the Mosaic Festival that's coming up. We have um, the stage at St. Andrews that's coming up. So just keep an eye out. Feel free to keep an eye on my socials at Jamila sings on instagram and jamila music on facebook and you'll see all the updates okay like i said i need to have you back but i'm gonna let you go now for this part one of of our conversation and my question is this though mm -hmm. there's a little girl boy watching the show right now and thinking you know whatever it is inside them what i singing what i's drawing whatever it is is not something that will take them to where they'd like to be. What would you tell that kid? <laughs> I would tell that kid that the sum is just the whole of its parts. Ah. The sum is just the whole of its parts. And for you to create a masterpiece or create an empire 
it is all boils down to the little things you do every day. The little things, that one call you're afraid to make or that one hour that you're, you're, you know, you're not quite sure if you should um, invest or not. You know what I mean? Mm. Stay the course, stay the course, because if you demonstrate a certain amount of focus and discipline and loyalty to your craft, it almost always pays off. Mm. And it might not pay off in fame and it might not pay off in, um, you know, flashing lights and Beyonce kind of fame, but the respect that you will get from your community for knowing that you had that focus. Mm. If it's even 10 people, it will immortalize you and you live forever through your work. Wow. Wow, Jamila, thank you. Thank you so much for showing up again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for chanting your name. I love that song. Uh, And thank you so much for everything you're doing. You know, keeping because like reggae is a beautiful song. Like there's a there's a song. I don't want to wait in vain for your love. Love that song. You know, I'm not a very ex- like okay. I guess in public, I'm not a very expressive person. But like in my house, oh my god, I can't <laughs> sing for shit. But if that song comes on, I'm singing it to the top of my lungs. And you remember, like, there's a story I'm gonna share about that song. I grew up in Nigeria, and in Nigeria, we kind of just grew up with reggae music. That's just what we really had. That's kind of what we had. And I'm growing up as a kid. All the um like the stars were like reggae people, you know, and then there was like Lucky Dubier from South Africa, and then it was yep. that's all I grew up <laughs> listening to, right? So and then you know grow up and everything, and for some reason like reggae just like wasn't in my life anymore. So one day I was now I'm living in South Africa in Cape Town, mm-hmm. uh, and then a friend of mine was i was living in like a residence you know with some guys and stuff and i just go in and he's listening to like a mixed cd and then you know it's different songs and then wait in vain comes on like uh, it's it's like i became like eight years old again like <laughs> every you know all those things i grew up with all those feelings all those man like and like for weeks and weeks and weeks i was just playing to on to that song repeat now the other thing about that song is that you know as a kid it's like it's just a rhythm you are listening to you know you know you know that's all you are listening to but now i'm like you know in my teens getting to my 20s the song has a different meaning and that's one thing i love about reggae is like at different stages of your life it means different things right uh, and like, uh, anyway, I can go on and on. So thank you so much for saying, you know what? We don't have reggae here. I need to, like, this is my legacy. I like how you put that thing. So thank you so much for doing that. And thank you so much for coming to the sanctuary today. Thank you so much, Israel. Thanks for having me. And keep keep loving reggae. Reggae loves you too. Reggae music are the key to the soul. We reorganize all the system and go. Yeah.